We should not do this in the morning. I've oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on. I'm f-ing on. I'm here. And I'm, okay. I'm drinking coffee, so it'll get better as the coffee kicks in. Good. I know you don't drink coffee, but do you want some caffeine? That might help with the, the uplift. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget when my eyebrow goes up. It's a joke. The police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Sip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we discuss our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. We're back, 2022, Byron and I, Iron Duke Studios, how are you? That's right, welcome back to 2020 part three. You didn't know this was a trilogy, but unfortunately it is. We're now in uh, phase three, Omicron movie. Mm. Um, this is kind of when all the main characters get together to beat the last the last bad guy. Or they all get killed off. Yeah, so we're about to find out what happens in the next episode if there's another one, but I'm hoping that this will in fact be the end. Today on the podcast, later on, we're joined by Business New Zealand Chief Executive Kirk Hope to talk about about the future of the pandemic response for business. And also we've got a few things to talk about with rats and mice. We've got a few things to talk about around lockdowns, no lockdowns, and the new alert level traffic light colorblind system. And I'm gonna talk about geopolitics. That's a bit of you. Well, I'll take it away. As we record this, uh, the government sector will make a huge announcement today around changes to mandatory isolation periods. Now, our insight on that is that it's probably going to be reduced. What we've seen from overseas regarding the transmissibility, transmissibility? Yeah, that's a word. Yeah, that's a word. Of the of the virus is that people are coming down a little bit faster and it's not lasting in their systems for as long. We've also seen those massive supply chain issues, particularly across the Tasman. Those have been really well reported here. And I think the government today will make an announcement that's going to alleviate some of those pressures. So I think we'll see both the isolation period for those who have contracted the virus as well as close contacts move down. We're also going to see the introduction of rapid antigen testing, which is really exciting after the government's They two. were banned. There they was... were incredibly banned. Yeah. To be really clear, it, it is only more recently that it's become a, a form of testing that is appropriate to use in New Zealand. We've now got six rapid antigen tests uh, approved, all with an efficacy of above 80%, which is much higher than some of the media would have you believe, particularly some of the epidemiologists. I listened to someone on RNZ this morning who I'd never heard of in my life. New characters in the third movie. New characters. Epidem- more new epidemiologists. Wow, that's incredible. So that's really exciting. What I am a little bit concerned about is the, the mass buyout of the government and what that means for those in the private sector who had rats on order mm. um, because they've basically commandeered every every test that's crossing the border. Yeah, exactly. Do the government build their own stockpile at the expense of employers and business, or do they just let it kind of go and say, if you're importing one of these approved tests, which as you just said, are of quite high sensitivity and high uh, efficacy, then go forth and conquer. So that's going to be an interesting balance for the government to make. And it was employers who were just getting on with it as well. That's the annoying part. These people have taken the proactive step, and and we'd seen a lot of that across the media, to get these tests in, and and here we are. Our last kind of change that I wanted to touch on was masks. Masks. grade mask will need to be worn by workers who are legally required to be vaccinated. That includes for instance the widely available blue medical grade masks that many are already wearing. Cloth masks are dead long live the KN95 Yeah KN95, N95 blue surgical mask but that little kind of pocket square mask that you got from your trendy little sartorial shop, get rid of that just get rid of that. Small business, no thanks Oh that's that's a really big impact right? Yeah it is. 
It is. So talk us through the impact. Those things aren't cheap. Those things also aren't reusable. So if your staff were coming in with their own masks, you now have to be providing them with some of these medical grade masks, which aren't actually that easy to come by and are going to be an added cost to business. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of disgruntled small business owners today. And it raises the question, why should everyone not have to wear a surgical grade mask? Why are we creating two tiers of acceptability around face coverings? Oh, it's just a it's just a bit of a vibe. If you're going into a cafe, you bring the vibe with you. But if you work at the cafe, the vibe is clearly you need, you need to be safe. Yeah. You need to be safe. Okay. And of course, branding. You know, where are you going to have the cafe's logo on your face otherwise? Yes, you know, exactly. Big issue, major exactly. Issue. And I mean, I have I've yet to see a black surgical grade mask, and that's that I only wear black masks. Yeah, yeah. Well, not not anymore. That's actually changing in the office. Yeah, we we're going to white KN ninety five masks. This is a safe workplace. So, speaking of cafes, my peak of the week has been the announcement that uh, we aren't going to lock down. We aren't going to the old alert level four, but are instead going to the new traffic light red. Last year, last August, when Delta came to these shores one case bang lockdown go home stay home it was hard and I think you know what happens now is that we we learn a bit more about unfortunately the words that lots of people hate we learn how to live with it now and we've proven that the COVID protection framework does actually do its job it did a great job with Delta over the summer I don't remember seeing spikes of thousands of cases a day and people followed the rules and our high boosted rate as well now, we, we're at 59% of the eligible population has received a third dose, which is way higher than cynical old me thought it was going to get to. Exactly. And that reduction of the time period between your uh, second dose and your third dose was uh, was needed. Mm. Um, you know, maybe we, we could have made that decision a bit earlier. Maybe it was made at the right time. You know, who knows? But now that you know, almost 60% of mm. the eligible population do have that booster, that's going to put us in good stead in the long run when it does come to Omicron having larger numbers of caseloads a day. No lockdown, traffic light red, means more businesses and more people can do more things. And it starts to look something like what a next normal in yeah. this third epic of the uh, COVID movie looks like. Yeah. And it means that businesses, for the most part, can steadily plot along. And the point that you made around isolation requirements, that's going to come into play. We're going to need to get used to that uh, as our workforces do go home, stay home because they're sick or they've got the virus and they're asymptomatic. And so we'll just have to get used to that. And there'll be a bit of teething issues around that over the next few months. I think that's when it starts to feel different. Like right now, level read for me, I mean, I'm gutted that I've had some massive events cancelled over the next few weeks. But for the most part, I can still go out, shop, eat, drink as usual, can still have people over. It's when those characters, the characters in my life of this epic, start to disappear because they're home isolating for 10 days yeah. and you're gone and uh, I'm sad. And it, that's when it starts to feel a little bit different. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, not everything's good in the world. What's your pit of the week? My pit of the week is food prices. Stats NZ have released a report that said food prices are up by 4.5%. Now, that is the highest increase in the last 10 years. So tomato price. Prices, those have more than doubled. So a lot of the staples in our grocery baskets have risen quite exponentially. Now we know there's a lot of reasons. You've got all of the supply side problems. You've, we've got ships sitting offshore with tasty treats on it from abroad. Tasty treats. I'm sure. Uh, like Twinkies. I don't. No one buys Twinkies. No, but price Twinkies through the roof. Yeah, those are a tasty treat from abroad. You're probably right. We also know that um, from the Commerce Commission's findings into the supermarket, that vertical integration of our supply chains is absolutely an issue. We know that there's a lot of structural issues in and around our supermarkets, which we're hoping to unwind. I was I was doing a bit of reading. Labor actually campaigned 
on lower food prices when they came in in 2017. And sure, we've had the Commerce Commission's review, but we're yet to see any of that play out in the wash. It's never been more expensive to feed your family than it is at the moment. And that also goes to high commodity prices overseas, right? If you're paying a high, if China's buying our meat and our milk for big prices, then unfortunately, little old New Zealand pays those prices to match because we're a price taker in the global economy. And so as demand overseas rebuilds after COVID mm. and restaurants want our nice fish and all sorts of yummy stuff, we also pay the prices that they're paying. When it comes to items that are close to home, like eggs and stuff, your supply chain pressures just get straight to them. Truck drivers, you know, it's really hard mm. to find truck drivers just to move your fresh pork from Timaru up to Auckland and all that kind of stuff. It's it's quite hard at the moment in the logistics sector. But look, I think this is a real opportunity for the government to seize the day, break up the supermarket chains, find a, a third party to come in perhaps, but it could also be a, a great opportunity for the opposition to seize if they want to as well. Inflation's one, been one of the themes uh, of this podcast for the last kind of year and I don't see that going away in our, in our epic trilogy of years uh, inflation is here to stay and I, I reckon we're going to see some pretty big numbers when the inflation number does come out I at the think end of it's going to be a six or a seven yeah north of six I reckon north yeah. of six and that's that's chaos level for the economy what's your pit of the week uh, my pit of the week is going out of New Zealand we're going we're, we're getting on a plane and we're going over to Europe no, we're not. Uh, and some really dangerous part of Europe uh, what's going on between uh, the tensions uh, in Ukraine and Russia there's a massive build up of military forces over 106,000 troops on the border of Ukraine sitting inside Russian-held territory. Washington has placed more than 8,000 US-based troops on a heightened state of alert and NATO is sending more warships and fighter jets to member states in Eastern Europe. So there's a large build-up of Russian military forces looking like they're going to invade the Ukraine and it's a lot of sabre-rattling and a lot of diplomacy. Russia's making some really complex demands of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the military alliance, and Putin is taking this right to the brink. He's saying, well, NATO cannot expand, we want security guarantees, remove your forces from ABC country. Really difficult stuff for NATO to actually say and of course they have now come to the table with brinkmanship as well, therefore deploying forces and so Europe is now looking like it did in 1938, that everyone's starting to move their military forces on the on the chessboard there's been some amazing commentary around what is going on in Russia and why uh, why this is happening mm. uh, and I think I read a wonderful piece uh, the other day and it was simply saying that Putin, what Putin's doing is he's trying to demand respect, yeah. that's, that's what he's searching for, he's trying to demand respect so he can prove to his corrupt regime that sits in behind him that he is as powerful as Gorbachev, he's as powerful as Stalin, he's as powerful and influential as the Soviet Union. And those questions have been rising over over the last probably four to five years around his health and and what his tenure is in that role. Looking at that, what are the implications for New Zealand? Let's maybe talk about prices at the fuel pump. So exactly, you know, Russia's a big energy exporter. They they export a lot of natural gas to Europe. Germany relies on the natural gas. They are in a precarious situation when you think about Western Europe's energy supplies. Tension in the world at this scale is a disaster for mm. small countries like us. I mean, I mentioned before that we're price takers. As soon as there's a major shock somewhere in the world, all our prices get buggered up by that too. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about energy, you know, how do you get natural gas to Europe if it's not from the, ga- the gas pipeline that the has big to gas run pipeline through Ukraine? Too, that's right. You know, so that complicates things. And you know, we're trying to build close relationships with the EU. And if this conflict kicks off, the whole world will end up in instability. Mm. This isn't a simple border dispute between two nations. I don't think I'm going to put my you know 
Oh, you know, I'm not a betting man, but I'm going to put my bet on the table. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think it's going to kick off because uh, the the consequences are too big. But what I will, what I do think will happen, is that there will be more cyber attacks. There might be some smaller um, smaller conflicts with the rebel held areas in Ukraine, and that's not good for global stability as well. And as we go into our third epic of 2020. This is just something I did not see coming, really. No. You know, and it's we've got a pandemic. There's a you know a little bit of a war kind of going on, maybe perhaps. It's like in Game of Thrones where you forget that there's like other islands. Yeah, that yeah yeah. That's what it feels like. I'm I'm so focused on you know House of Lannister that I forget that Daenerys Targaryen's coming with her big red Russian dragon. Exactly, exactly the big red Russian. Dragon. Yeah, exactly. He's going to burn through the Soviet winter. And it's got Omicron. Yeah. Oh, whoa. I know, plot twist. Who's directing this? Is this a Michael Bay film? Uh, this is a big Michael Bay film. Wow. So anyway, that's that's my that's my pit of the week. I don't want it to see it kick off. And we'll have a chat with Kirk about the Omicron stuff and New Zealand businesses as well when he joins us soon. For our first episode of 2020 Part 3, we are joined by Chief Executive Business Zealand, Kirk Hope. Kirk, thank you so much for coming on the Iron Duke podcast, the first episode for 2022. Welcome. I was forced here by wine. (laughs) (laughs) Which is most of our guests, it really is. Exactly. That's why we're such a wonderful podcast to be on. (laughs) Kirk, before Business New Zealand, you were the head of the Bankers Association, and before that, the Financial Services Federation, and had a little stint inside the Westpac Bank, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yep, that's all correct. Brilliant. Exactly. So we've got your CV on our table there. Man does his homework. So tell us about the mood of business going into 2022. Tell us about the uncertainty, what's out there, what is on the mind of business leaders? Yeah, probably, well, obviously Omicron was a pretty hot topic for business leaders even going into the break and learning the lessons of COVID and lockdowns and also Delta. Businesses have been doing a lot of planning and preparation for how to manage a widespread outbreak, uh, which I think will will serve them pretty well under Omicron. There was and there is and there remains a, um, a sense of frustration, a feeling that uh, we were too slow to get vaccinations in place, too slow to have rapid antigen tests, and, and just a feeling that sort of business is a secondary player. Bear in mind, I mean, most kind of New Zealand business people, even people who work in, in big corporates, uh, are kind of used to tracking their own path. Yep. And and by and large, government has really stayed out of the way of New Zealand businesses, uh, except for, you know, relatively um, useful regulatory reasons, sometimes less useful. That's why people like <laughs> us exist. Um, and and so, you know, this is a situation that they're really not used to. And yeah. it's it's quite confronting because they, you know, the, the uncertainty is built on by the fact that they don't have any control whatsoever of over some pretty significant things which impact their businesses. And, you know, we probably see that much more intensely in the in the small to medium end of town. But, um, but it's certainly true for almost all business, business people and business uh, owners. So as we think about one of the challenges that keeps cropping up in the media that is kind of on the horizon for business, that's supply chain pressures. Not from people getting sick and staying in hospital, but having the virus and isolating. So what have you seen from business in New Zealand preparing for that situation here? It's a good question. So what they what they tended to do is, where that's possible, break down their teams into mm-hmm. shift work. You know, people who might have been working, say, 12 hours will come where it's possible. Uh, they'll come in and do uh, two lots of six oh, yeah. uh, with two two groups of different people and they might do a clean in between. They will break it down into into smaller groups of people. So if there was a team of 30 people doing stuff, they might break that into three teams of 10. So really just trying to uh, minimise the impact 
uh, of a potential outbreak. Yep. Looking at how they can access PCR tests for surveillance uh, and, you know, RACO, I think, have, have done a really good job mm. in kind of signing up a lot of businesses to help them work through some of this companies like Rayco as well. Then the kind of other component that businesses have been preparing for is trying to get rapid antigen tests into the country. So there's a bunch of businesses that all banded together to, to try and get the import ban removed, which yep. they were successful. Got to give uh, Minister Viral credit there for really um, kicking that along. And, and I think, you know, she remains supportive of, of the use of those tests for, you know, helping manage risks in the workplace. I just want to touch on, on rats a little bit further there. What was the holdup? Uh, the, the, the fact that they were just banned. There's a couple of issues, right? Uh, one is that I think the ministry were worried about uh, rat tests and the quality and efficacy of them. So in New Zealand, the efficacy of the tests is high. The ministry still have a regulatory approval process. Yep. They won't be approved unless they have 80% or higher efficacy. Now that's not true in, for example, Australia. Tests there that, that have less than 60% efficacy. So they're not- Why they're, they're far, with something like that? Yeah, they're far less useful. So in Australia, there's only- 20 tests that have 80% or above. Now, if we can keep our tests at high quality and high efficacy, that just means it's much easier to manage and, and, and utilise risk in the workplace. And I saw that goes to uh, alleviating some of the workforce and the labour shortages uh, once an Omicron outbreak does get quite large. Yeah, well, you get fewer you know, false positives. Yep. Uh, and that that's something that can slow everything down. You get false positives, you have negative PCR, yep. um, but you still had someone out of the workplace for you know what might be three days. Yep. Having having that clear and useful will, again, will just reduce the um, pressure that's going to come on the workforce from Omicron. Have businesses in New Zealand found it useful watching Australia go through uh, various different type outbreaks, different states are going through different approaches? Have we, have we found it useful to learn from what's going on over there? Yeah, I think um, certainly from a business operations perspective, yeah. business people have been doing that. And there are a lot of companies in New Zealand that have uh, international links. And so, yeah. you know, they're getting... They're getting really good quality information out of uh, out of the various parts of those businesses. If you take a business like Main Freight, they've got big operations in other parts of the world, not just in Australia, but uh, they have Australia, the US, and, and I think in Europe as well. So, you know, they've got a plethora of data about the experiences of uh, working with uh, with with COVID. One observation is that you do have to be a bit careful because clearly we haven't had widespread outbreaks mm. and so there are mm. some nuances with uh, the management of it. But again, you know, businesses already have some of that experience. You talk a lot about the clarity that we've gained from overseas, but bringing it back home, what more are businesses asking from, from our government? I think pretty soon what the government are going to have to stump up with is, is changes to the isolation rules. Um, we, you know, we, ours are long at the moment, 14 days for a case and seven, uh, sorry, 10 days for a contact. What we've seen elsewhere is once Omicron gets into the community, some of those isolation periods are become a bit irrelevant so long as you know it's not extreme cases so you know what you'd want to see is is that come down to something like 10 7 that means that there are less people out of the workforce for uh, less periods of time and and that will have an impact on the the household um, time frames as well oh, yeah yeah so currently you know on the ministry of health website you might see a household that could be 24 days. That'd be That's a pretty huge. extreme case. Wow, yeah. F- fixing those up will be really good. And getting a kind of end-to-end understanding from a business perspective of what health authorities and, and what regulatory agencies like WorkSafe will be looking to see out of businesses. Most of the stuff that I've just described, you know, will be positive. Business continuity plans, um, you know, just kind of what you're really doing to keep people safe. So maybe some more really clear communications from government about their expectations around that will be really important. 
do businesses need the leave support scheme? Do, do you think more financial assistance is going to come or should come? or what, What's the mood there? Given that these won't be lockdowns as yeah. such. The answer is yes, I think. Uh, I think, look, the leave support schemes support workers, yep. um, and that, uh, that's really important, yep. um, much like the wage subsidy. If you don't have any uh, workers and you don't have any customers, um, you're effectively locked down. Mm. So um, I think there will need to be other forms of support, depending on how kind of how long Omicron goes for. And look, some of the modelling is that you're effectively through it in a couple of months, which, you know, if we could get through that, that would be pretty good. Wow, yeah, brilliant. Some businesses are going to be hurt much harder than others this time around under a red light setting. Who are those businesses? One area that is continually impacted by the border closure is uh, tourism businesses. So the border's closed as a health response. So the sooner that you know we can get through and get to a different state from a health response perspective, one that means that the risk to the health system is manageable, um, that border can open. Uh, in that way, thousands of those businesses that are getting smashed, basically. Yeah. I think they've effectively, yeah. um, someone wrote to me and said that effectively they've been in over 700 days of lockdown. Wow. Those guys really, they kind of need the border to open and and open safely so that people will come. And and the other areas are, are well-known, you know, the hospitality guys, because they, you know, they've just gotten demand. And then, you know, if you've got a big venue, you've probably had events, mm. which will be cancelled, yep. and you've probably yep. had your numbers restricted to 100. Yep. Look, it's still better than lockdown, right? Red is no doubt better than lockdown, and you only have to walk around any kind of city or town and see that. I think, you know, it's a really important to note, you know, it is completely different to the alert level settings. It allows a lot more activity. The biggest probably impediment will be rules that take people out of play because they're isolating mm. uh, and that'll have, that'll have the biggest impact. Particularly with the labour market looking like it does at the moment and that brings me to that desperate need to be getting more people into our country doing those sorts of jobs. What are you seeing in the immigration space as we move forward? There's been a bit of a been a bit of a lull um, in terms of the since the I think it was announced in around May last year the immigrate the big immigration rebalance. What what business needs from from that immigration rebalance is the politicians I think to understand that that actually it's there's shortages across the economy. Yeah. It doesn't matter you yep. know yep. what skill level. And I think if they make policy decisions which basically say you're not importing any low skilled labour, what they're essentially saying is they are committing uh, a group of New Zealanders to low-skilled labour jobs. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And, and so that's frustrating and it'll also mean that, you know, some of those people, you know, won't won't come out of that. They won't be in a situation to uh, obtain new skills and they'll be trapped and that's actually hopeless, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. What sectors aren't facing labour shortages at the moment? <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't think of one on the top of my head. I mean, ironic given what I said about tourism, but even tourism businesses are facing skill shortages because, you know, the people yeah. who primarily have populated them, you know, aren't in New Zealand anymore. But I think you're right, uh, Byron. I, I'd struggle to find everywhere you go, it doesn't matter, you know, what region, what industry, yeah. uh, it's probably the number one issue, right? Can't mm. get can't get enough people or can't get the right kind of people. Wages have moved pretty rapidly and we, we, we're seeing some inflation numbers later this week, which I'm sure will make people's eyes water. Uh, wage inflation will be a, be a really strong component of that. So the challenge is that we do have to get more people uh, if we want to continue to supply the demand that we're seeing, yep. um, not just the, from the domestic economy, but also within the tradable sector as well. It's really important to get those people across all skill sectors. So we need a balanced immigration policy. 
And that plays into the great resignation as well because when the border opens, uh, unless it's two-way, we're going to see a lot of young, hard-working Kiwis head out. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, with the border open, the only thing that we could do is is look at the education sector and, and bring some people in through that uh, pathway. Again, that's been closed off the last two years, which yep. has really yep. uh, been pretty challenging for those tertiary education institutions. And, and again, as you as you say, Maddie, we, we, we're going to need to replace those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we're not open-minded about how we do that, uh, we're going to end up in a pretty bad situation. Probably gets worse before it gets better, doesn't it? 2020 Part 3 is not looking too easy for business, is it? No, it doesn't. As is tradition on the Iron Duke podcast, we finish off with a very quick-fire hot or not, where we simply say a word or a phrase and you say hot if you like it or not if you don't. Right, well, parties to catch Omicron, hot or not? (laughs) Not. (laughs) Paying $2.70 for a litre of fuel. Not. Rapid antigen test sent to you in the mail by the government. Hot. Nice. KN95 masks. Hot. Rosé. Hotter. (laughs) And the Black Caps tour of Australia getting cancelled. Not. Well, there we have it, folks. Thank you so much, Kirk, for a wonderful interview. And uh, all the best for business this year. I think it's going to be a really challenging one uh, for everyone involved. That brings us through to rosé time. (laughs) 